Amen. Good morning, church. As um, I was listening to those songs, I was just thinking about God's faithfulness. Those young people are our youth group. Continue to keep them in prayer. You, 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 you got to pray for the young people. Um, you might think, wow, a couple of them had some rough lives. Uh, saw some gray-haired people up there. Not, not, not everyone there was, was youth. But the, but the large majority <laughs> were youth. And I think about even our youth director preaching last Sunday and these young people coming up here and just God's faithfulness through the generations. When, when I was the youth pastor, um, those very people that co-labored with me, uh, those young people are now adults and serving in the church. These young people that you see here is a testimony of God's faithfulness because he is raising up his remnant for this generation that so desperately needs the people of God with conviction. The main thing for anyone to come up here is living a life of holiness and consecration. Not, not one, even youth, gets to come and worship, especially when it comes to through song, without sitting down and, and being interviewed and, and watching their lives. Not, not that they live perfect lives, but no, that they are set apart for God. That that is the criteria. So it blesses my soul to see those young people come up here and worship because I know when I'm gone, it'll be the next generation doing what God has called them to do. And that is a gift from God. This morning, we're going to be finishing up our series uh, in Philippians called Be Encouraged. We've been taking this journey through the book of Philippians for a couple of months now, and this sermon is called Gifts from God. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start reading at verse 10. But as I thought about gifts from God, we shared in a devotion this morning with the leadership how God is the one who gives perfect gifts. In the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We, we were talking about how hard it is uh, sometimes for us to give good gifts to one another. We, we think about what we would like 
to, to give someone, to bless them, and often we can't come up with the right thing. What's the right size? What's the right color? Do they need this? Do they want this? They're probably going to bring it back anyway. So we put gift receipts in the bag just in case they want to give it back and get something else. Uh, my daughter is about to turn 17, and we're asking her, what, what do you want? A lot of people are asking us what you want for your birthday, and she said, um, I, I don't really know. I said, uh, I have a suggestion. You tell those people, hey, I'm 17, I'll take some cold, hard cash, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get what I want. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good idea, um, uh, Dad, thanks. But um, with God, the only gifts he gives are perfect. They're only perfect. So we have so many gifts from God. Uh, often we don't even acknowledge it. We just take it for granted. But God is a great gift giver. Uh, and even in the devotion, we read how we have to even think about when we approach someone that we need something from. So, so a child approaches a parent when they need something. Uh, they wait for the timing to be right. They, they don't just come at any time. They make sure the chores are done, maybe. Um, make sure that the parent is in a good mood. Uh, they know which parent to go to. I've always been the parent to go to. I'm the, I'm the soft one where my kids, let me, let, me, let me wait for dad. Maybe ask him. Even with class trips, they, they'd pick me. I thought it was because they liked me more. They're like, no, no, it's because you'll pull out money way faster than mom. Oh, thanks. God, there is no bad time to come to him and ask uh, as his children and to receive. He, he's not fickle. He, he's not in a bad mood. His children are always uh, able to come. And, and he doesn't give us what we deserve, thank God. That, that's his, his mercy. He graciously gives to his children. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Again, we're in Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 10. I'll be reading out of the CSB this morning, and it reads this way. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because, once again, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardships. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing in your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, 
an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we so thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, these past couple of months in going through uh, this epistle to the Philippians. So many truths we've learned and you're continually doing a transformation and renewing our minds, Lord, and feeding our spirits, Lord, giving us our daily bread. We thank you how we've been able to go through these texts line by line and what is done in us, Father, because of your goodness, because of the good gifts that you give. Even being able to gather is a gift from you. Being able to worship is a gift from you, Lord. And salvation is a gift from you. We come to you this day, Lord, with an anticipation that we would be fed, that we would receive our daily bread, that you would do a deep work in us, Lord, as you continue to reveal yourself to us through the truths in your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So in this letter, we know that Paul um, is in prison when he's writing this letter, and he's writing this letter and letting the Philippians know that they are to rejoice, that they are to be encouraged, and he ended up in this place because uh, 10 years earlier or so he had a dream, and in that dream, uh, he was called to go to Macedonia, and he went. And he, and he met some women, and, and he, he planted um, a church there. And when he, when he went there, uh, it was uh, a rough experience. Uh, sometimes even in the midst of God's will, we have rough experiences. When, when he went, uh, it tells us in Acts chapter 16 uh, that uh, because of some of uh, what he did and meddling and what people would consider their affairs, uh, they were beaten and they were dragged off to jail, him and, and Salas. And uh, the church supported him. And then for some time, there was no contact between the Philippian church and Paul. But now, uh, through Epaphroditus, he had uh, been reconnected with the church, and they came and brought Paul um, a, a gift, uh, an, an offering. And, and that is what he uh, is responding to here in the letter. Now, just think about this for a moment. Paul uh, goes and he plants a church. It's like a baby. And that church starts to learn to function, and he's supporting them, and, and he goes away. They're on their own. They're growing. And now uh, the church is not only functioning on its own, but being a blessing uh, to the one who had initially 
blessed the church. The one who supported and blessed the church is now being supported and blessed by the church. That, that is the natural progression of things, uh, not only uh, in the life of a church, but in the life of a Christian. Uh, we can liken it to in, in our life with our children, right? Uh, in the beginning, a child uh, comes into the world with many needs. We, we have to feed them. Uh, we have to clothe them. We have to change their dirty diapers. And uh, we have to carry them. And, and as that uh, starts to happen, uh, a time comes when they're able to kind of stand on their own. And, and, and they get uh, a bigger and a, and a little bit more self-sufficient. And then uh, they come to a place where uh, if you're parenting uh, the way that I did, where, hey, you're going to be a participant in this household like everyone else. No one just gets a free ride, right? We all do chores around here because everything that we have belongs to us as a unit. You don't just get to benefit and not be a, a participant. Well, well, the same thing should be happening in the life of the believer in the, in, the, in the church. And we see here an example of the church becoming that very thing. And in the midst of growth, there's always challenges. There's always things that come up, you know, when kids get to a certain age, they start, you know, uh, forgetting uh, where their bread is, is buttered and, and you go through certain challenges, you know, you could be sitting at the dinner table and, you know, they could say something crazy like, why does dad always get the big piece of chicken? Right? Those are the kind of things that happen as you come along and then you, you remind them, hey, um, you could have whatever size chicken and piece of chicken you want on your own table in your own house when you get to that point, right? But for now, uh, I get the big piece of chicken. It goes from there to your kids developing and growing and getting out on their own, and, and now they start even returning and giving gifts and and blessing you. Uh, I, I've often said to my children, hey, when I get to a place um, where I'm really old, remember all we did for you. I, I, I don't anticipate being in a nursing home. Uh, get me a nurse and, and you make sure that I'm right there with you. And, and if I end up in a nursing home, fine, but do me a favor, don't lie to my grandchildren. When, 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 when you bring them to come and see me and they say, why does dad have this attitude? Don't just say he's just old and crazy. No, you tell them the truth. <laughs> I looked out for you guys and you refused to look out for me and he still got an attitude about that, right? That's not what happened here. This, this church grew up and, and was to the point where in their maturity now they can support the very one who had supported them. It's very important. It's very important for us as believers not to stay babes in Christ. 
not, not to only look at things from our point of need, right? You come in, you come in dirty, we hug you. We, we, we're there to assist in cleaning you up, being God's hands and feet, to carry you, to support one another. But then it gets to the point where uh, you're called to do chores like, like everyone else here. And, and not to only come to be blessed, but to be a blessing. And this is a, a prime example of this uh, in, in this part of the letter, even uh, in that uh, they gave um, out of, of their poverty. And the text tells us that right from the beginning, I rejoice in the Lord. Again, Paul is speaking about rejoicing as he's done this whole epistle greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. The church at Philippi had a concern for Paul and his needs, but they lacked the opportunity to show it. Many believers, unfortunately, have the opportunity, but lack the concern. That's not good. One of the things that I could say about our church is so many people, percentage-wise, put their hands to the plow and help and work. And what you don't realize, maybe, is uh, that's a big part of your Christian growth. That that's also a big part of your Christian fellowship. We have people that will tell us, hey, I'm leaving um, the church. And, and when I ask them, why? No, I, I like your preaching. You know, I like to worship. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I haven't made any friends there. Well, if you just come on a Sunday and then leave, then that's what's going to happen. One thing that I know is this is a friendly church. When you walk in these doors, people are going to approach you and speak to you and say hi to you and, and make you feel welcome. From that point, uh, you need to put in a little bit of the work. And as you co-labor, those are the people that you're going to end up being closer to and getting to know and develop relationships with. Uh, here, uh, Paul is saying, hey, I know you've had a desire to do whatever you could for me, but you lacked the opportunity. And then he went on to say, I don't say this out of need. It's, it's not that I want whatever you have to give me, but I have, because I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. We're going to park here for a few minutes. Paul here is speaking about contentment. You know, uh, America is one of the richest nations in the world, uh, some of the most discontent people you're ever going to find. Um, there is just um, the societal norm is I want more. I I'm never satisfied. Even sometimes with their a mentality about church, having like a consumer mentality of, mm, is, or, offer me this, 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 this. That's, that's not um, what it's about. We uh, do that so often. But at what point are you a blessing and not only looking to be blessed? Because I could tell you this, the areas where you struggle with not being content 
is the same areas where you will not give. What I mean by that is this. If we just think of people's relationship with their spouse, if you are not content with your spouse, you hold back what you are even willing to give. Right? Well, I don't because I'm not happy about and when that person, then I'll change the way. That is, I refuse to give of myself or all of me because I am not content with what I have. I'll give you another example. Often people just say, I don't have the time or the money to give um, to church. It is because I have not accumulated enough for myself that I'm going to break off time for things of the Lord. And um, that is not what God has called us to do. When we feel like we don't have enough, we're going to hoard our time and we're going to hoard our money. Paul here says, I've learned to be content. Contentment is learned. It, it, is, it is developed. It actually has nothing to do with the quality or quantity of what you have. It has a whole lot to do with you being grateful for what you do have. So, so if, if you uh, have a car, but I want three cars, you're not going to be content with your car. Or if you think the quality of your car, you need to upgrade to another car. That's what you're going to work towards. Um, and this happens uh, to many people. And we have to come to a place where we come to recognize what's important. What's important in life? Not those things. What's important in life is relationships. It's your relationship with God, your relationship with people, your relationship with your purpose. But we, even in our blessings, instead of being grateful, we complain often about something not being good enough. Whether that be people that we're in relationship with, the things that we have that are material, or even um, the church. Uh, we uh, complain that we don't have a certain amount of friends, but you may have deep family, or you may not have a bunch of family members or friends, but you have the church. So, so there's always a way of, of looking at things that sometimes we resist doing, refuse to do, or, or kind of have blinders on in that area. One of the things that uh, my wife Jessie says to the young people all the time is comparison is the thief of joy. And, and you know what we compare ourselves to? Never the people that have less than us. It's people that have more that we want to obtain. Uh, the way they look, um, the, the skills that they have or the giftings that they have, the material things that they have. That is a problem. And when we are not content 
um, it affects a lot of different areas. It tells us in Matthew 6, starting at verse 19, don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither rust nor moth destroy and thieves don't break in and steal because where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you if you lost all of your worldly possessions, would you say to yourself, "I have nothing"? For, for, for some people, they would have nothing. For others, they would say, "No, I have the most important things that life is about." But Paul is saying this from a prison cell, uh, like our brother Thomas said last week. There was no like, okay, you do six months or you got five years. No, you're here, you may die or you may be released and you don't know when that's going to happen. So in a sense, Paul had nothing. Or, or did he have nothing? Oh, he had everything. He, he, he had his God. He, he had the saints praying for him. He, he was actually even on a mission in the prison, and we see that by what we read at the end of, of the letter, and we'll get to that again. Missionary uh, John Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What are you striving for? The text goes on to say, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. After that, the text says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. One of those texts that people use as a mantra, often taking it out of context, but you cannot disconnect it from the sentence above and what he's talking about. What, what we're talking about here is being content. What we're speaking of here is um, because you're content, because you've learned that secret, whether you're hungry or full, whether you have need or you're in abundance, um, you are good with that. And he says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I am able to go through any situation presented to me because I'm content. And where is that contentment found? It's found in God. It's knowing who God is, knowing that God is the one who is keeping you. That, that even the situation you're in, God has caused it or allowed it and is doing something in the midst of that situation. If you look at other versions, it says things like in the Amplified Version, I am sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. 
That, that, that puts another understanding on what that text means. In the J.B. Phillips translation, he says, I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. Another translation says, I can do everything God asked me to do with the help of, help of Christ who gives me the strength and power. That's what that text is talking about. Not I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me apart from the context that we're reading in. Because we could take that to mean anything. The text tells us that, still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardships. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you alone. And even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. You cannot separate what you believe in your heart and how you behave with your finances. You, you, you can't. Show me your checkbook. I'll tell you what you value. That you, you can't separate those things. Actually, Martin Luther said uh, there are three conversions necessary. A person goes through uh, the conversion of the heart when they first get saved, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse or the pocketbook. So, 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 so the first thing that happens is uh, God arrests your heart. You come into the saving knowledge of who God is. Amen. Hallelujah. But then we have a process of sanctification that we go through, which starts in the mind, right? Romans 12, 2, which tells us uh, that to be, for us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as your mind is transformed, you start to think differently. And finally, what should come around is, God, every single thing that I own belongs to you. It's, it's yours. It's yours. So, so even here, um, if we think about what has taken place, the church in Philippi gave for Paul's work in the gospel to spread. Your giving affects the gospel, not only here, but all over the world. God works through many venues. One of them is resources, through money. That's how God works. He lays it even on the hearts of the people to give because God what doesn't want you to give out of compulsion, the Bible says. But he wants a cheerful giver. So, so even the labor that we put in, he's the one who strengthens us and, 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 and allows us to go out and do those things. Someone gave for their church at Philippi to be planted. So someone gave for this church to be planted. Someone gave for Paul to continue his missionary work in the other parts of 
what God had called them to do. People have sustained the work of God, and God has blessed this place immensely. It is extremely hard to transition a church. When, when you go from especially the founding pastor to a new pastor, everybody's sitting there like this. To do it on the heels of a pandemic, the, the size of this place, all the other stuff that was taking place at the same time, it is God and God alone who kept us. God will always provide. God had provided here in such a beautiful way. This campus is a blessing, and God is using it and has further plans in how this whole campus is going to be used. God has blessed us with a pastor. I was, even this morning, I was talking to my wife, and I was like, you know, just thank God for you. So often we pray even for pastors that their wives um, are not as engaged with the call on their lives as the husband is, that the pastor is. So the pastor is almost like he's going out to work on a job. But the level of co-laboring that my wife does by my side. You wouldn't even want me as the pastor if she wasn't behind the scenes doing so much of the stuff that's being done here. That is a blessing and a gift from God. It is a gift from God. Every leader that is here they're them praying for you, the phone calls that they make, all the behind-the-scenes things that they're doing where they're taking pieces of their lives and being poured out. Every volunteer here. In our last um, volunteer luncheon, we have 85 people in this church that's volunteering. That's a lot of people. That's got to be at least a third of the church, if not more, are putting their hands to the plow. That is a blessing and a gift from God. God is always going to supply our needs. And it is not only what he's doing here in Monroe County and the way he's using this church to affect lives and families, but even what he's called us to in terms of supporting missions. We, we uh, support uh, uh, missionaries in India, Reach uh, India International, and they sent the message this week saying, please pray, it's not safe for the believers. That is one of the most populated nations in all the world. Only 3% is Christian. And they uh, have the highest illiteracy rate for adults in the world, percentage-wise. And, and we're supporting that work. So 
So know that all of these things, just like what we're reading here in the text, are going on in, in today, happening all around us. Don't, don't just come to church like, okay, you know, bless me, Lord, let me hear a word, and, you know, I got pancakes waiting for me at home. It's so much more than that, which I usually have pancakes when I go home after then, but that's, that's a whole nother story. We, we, we often talk about, hey, you know, I don't have time or money to give, but we spend time and money. We're spending our life on something. This church in Philippi, they gave from their extreme poverty. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if, if you want to read that, it tells you that that's what was going on there. And then the text goes on to say, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. Paul wasn't keeping a ledger. What he's talking about here is that God is going to bless you. God, God sees all these things. And, and don't look at it as if it's like some transaction. You do this and then God is going to do that. No, that's not what we're talking about. What we are called to do as believers is be engaged in the work that God is doing joyfully. And he's always going to see his will come to pass. And we have a privilege to be a part of that. It says, but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Uh, 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 we, this is language from the Old Testament when offerings were presented at the altar. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Another one of those scriptures that people take out of context, put it on the side, and just say, my God's going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Yes, that's true. Keep that in context. Certainly, my God will. It's not like he might, he could. No, he will supply all your needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What he's saying here is, Paul's saying, you met my need, God is going, you met my need and God is going to meet your needs. You met one of my needs that I have, but God is going to meet all of your needs. You gave me out of your poverty, but God is going to give you out of the supply of his riches and glory. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, said this, when God's Work is done in God's way for God's glory. It will not lack for God's supply. That, that's what this is talking about. In closing, it says now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ, the brothers who are with me, send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. This was in the time of Nero. The, 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 in Caesar's household could mean not necessarily that, that Nero's kids were hanging around Paul, 
but those people that were close to him, that, that he entrusted, they are sending greetings to the church because even in prison, Paul was on the mission God called him to and gave him pliable hearts that he was able to preach the gospel and they be called brothers and sending greetings. First off, if you know the emperor is killing believers and have one of the people that God is using the most at that time in prison, but you say, I've heard truth, and whatever price I have to pay, I'm willing to pay it. Wow, what a beautiful thing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Sum up this whole letter. It is about rejoice, be encouraged, know that God is in control. Contentment is learned. A Christian does not start out this way. It's developed. Life is not a series of accidents. It's a series of appointments. Contentment comes from adequate resources. Our resources are the providence of God, the power of God, and the promises of God. And the resources that he gives sufficient for every demand of life. God's providence is, is God sees it beforehand. God is working in advance, arranging every circumstance and situation to fulfill his purposes. So we can rejoice no matter what's going on. We can be encouraged. We must know God is in control. Not one of his promises fail. Not one of his plans fall to the ground. And we, believers, you know who we used to be, but now who we are, his, his saints, his workmanship, his people are called to his service and being part of something not fail. That's, so, that's, that's where we rejoice. Those things that you're going through, God is building spiritual muscles in you. We, we, were, we, were, we were designing the shirt for the next men's retreat, and when Samara sent me a picture, I said, make the muscles a little bigger. <laughs> Let's stand, church, so I can pray for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you that as we have gone through this epistle to the Philippians, Lord. We've learned so much, Lord. Right from the beginning that Paul was writing a letter to encourage them and to, for them to rejoice as he rejoiced from prison, Lord. He spoke to them throughout this letter about how he took pride in who they were becoming, Lord. And, and then he, he encouraged them to think of others more highly 
than yourself to sacrifice and, and give. And he showed first and foremost our example, Jesus Christ himself. And that beautiful passage that showed Jesus would not try to hold on to what it was to be in the form of God, to be in God himself. But he came as a man in his creation, lived the perfect life, and died. Not any death, but the death on a cross. The humble servant, Jesus, that those that put their trust in him would be forgiven, would be called children of God. And he showed examples of men and women that we should look to and model after in this walk of faith. And all the different ups and downs and circumstances that were even pointed out in the epistle. Overwhelmingly, this is the epistle of joy. In the midst of all this other stuff, God is in control. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray, Lord. And we already trust and believe and know that your word never returns to you void, but accomplishes what you send it to do, O oh God. Thank you, Father, for what you've done in my heart through this series and studying in the hearts of those that are attentive to your voice, Lord. Oh, Lord, teach us to always divide the word of truth properly, Lord. We know that's where we're inundated with lies because the truth sets free. Oh, God, we rejoice. We are encouraged, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can be content, that we can walk in victory because the victory is already won. So let us leave this place, Lord, in celebration, in praise, in thanksgiving, because you are good. And as what was preached last week, what's on your mind? That we would think of those things, Lord, that you've called us to, Lord. And we would walk in those truths, Lord. Especially when the enemy tries to come in like a flood. You'd raise up a standard, Lord, against him. We thank you for this time. And we're going to leave this place.
place singing and celebrating your goodness because we are confident in this one thing that he who started a good work in you will bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. We praise you for that and we rejoice in your goodness. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen and amen.